episode 81 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 20th of January 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Good evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yes, here we are. The reality of 2020 is set in now. There's no going back. Later on, we'll be talking about the death of Windows 7 and what that means for Linux. But first, let's do some news and start with Y2020. So this is Y2K 20 years on. Programmers in taking shortcut shocker. (laughs) (laughs) Plus 20. (laughs) Yeah, so it turns out that one of the solutions that they did back then was to just kind of shift the problem so that if it was between 0 and 20, then it was considered to be in this century rather than in the 20th century. But how did they not think, like, did they not learn the lesson that some of the systems they were fixing had been around since the fucking 60s? And now here we are 20 years after that, and we've still got problems. It's not as bad as people had kind of assumed, but this windowing fix was just a bit short-sighted, wasn't it? Cha-ching! <laughs> That's all they were caring about. Are you saying contractors are a share of bloodthirsty cash-hungry bastards? Yes. You'd be right. <laughs> I can imagine how that meeting would have gone. Not not the one where they all laughed up their sleeves and said, yeah, this will be good for a few quid, but the one where they said, well, we can do this fix here, which will take us maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever, or we can fix it properly and it's going to take years. But surely no one's going to be running this software in another 20 years, are they? And uh, now we find ourselves in the exact same position. But hang on, what about all those people who said Brexit would be terrible and they used the Y2K disaster as an example of how it wasn't, and now it's come back to haunt? Oh my God. Well, that is a pet peeve of Paddy, formerly of this parish or the one before, because he worked on the Y2K stuff. Um, I tried to ask him about this earlier, but he was obviously too busy working or whatever. On the on this current one, yeah? <laughs> yeah, probably. Counting his money. <laughs> no, working on getting news together. But um, he gets really pissed off when people say that, oh, well, Y2K, that was nothing. That was all just a hoax, because it wasn't. It was a bunch of programmers working very hard to fix the problem, and they mostly did their job. But it seems that they did a half-assed job, or at least some of them. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't blame them. I think you're right. It's If you give a company two options, one cheaper, they're going to go for the cheaper one. Even And 20 years, I'll be retired by then. Fuck it, not my problem. Yeah, and we shouldn't forget that the Y2K bug is a bug in the first place. So the whole premise of the bug in the first place is because they didn't implement it correctly or didn't think that things would be running, you know, 30 years later. And a bit of a precursor for our 2038 bug. So, yeah, I mean... Mm. That's only 18 years away. Um, So uh, I guess it's good practice to see how badly done twice now. So at least maybe we can fix it properly. Just imagine the problems that are going to be caused by the fixes from that in a few years. Yeah, and I've worked out that I won't be retired by then, so this could rightly land me fucking (laughs) in it just before I'm about to retire. So Start working on it now and there's your pension. (laughs) You make a good point. (laughs) All right, so Mozilla has laid off at least 70 people or will be in short order. Uh, some of them devs and QA people. Mm, not great news. No, considering they want to spend 49 million, sorry, 43 million building new products rather than fixing the fucking browser that is about the only thing that has been of any use that they have produced ever. Oh, I have to agree. I mean, I think I've defended mozilla quite a lot on this podcast and also mitchell baker um but i i this is 
crazy short-term thinking. Some of those developers with 10 years experience, um, I just wonder where they're going with all of this. And I, I do genuinely worry about the future of Firefox. But what choice do they have? They are losing the the browser wars. The every, every time we get any sort of statistics, Firefox usage is down and Chrome is up. So what are they supposed to do? Just keep doing the same thing. But it's not like they're going to reinvent the mobile phone by magic and spending that amount of money. It's There's no way they're going to compete. So why don't they just make the thing they're good at good and maybe people might come back? I think part of the problem here is that desktop browsers are effectively dead. Everybody is using a mobile browser these days, and really, there are only two mobile browsers. On iPhones, you know, you have to use the built-in um, renderer. You can't use a, an actual independent browser. And on Android, although you can use Firefox, it comes with Chrome, so why would you bother? So realistically... Mozilla are kind of out of the game here, and I am worried that this is the beginning of the end for Mozilla. Thanks for that. That's great. <laughs> Keep it light. Keep it light. <laughs> the beginning of the end, maybe, but it's going to be a long, slow death, I think. Netscape and Mozilla before Firefox was kind of lost as well, as I remember it. There was Phoenix. Phoenix was just the product of a couple of people basically hacking in their spare time. Mozilla even then couldn't see the wood for the trees. Firefox became hugely popular because um, it was in a, in a proprietary landscape with no free alternative. And so maybe Mozilla getting back to its roots or Firefox getting back to its roots in an ultra-competitive landscape where its competitors become less free and less privacy respecting they have forged their own kind of niche again you know making vpn services making sure data isn't leaked all those good things that people might move back to in the end i would take issue with why firefox became popular it's not because it was free and open source it's because it was better it was much better than internet explorer and at the time you either used a shitty browser that came with your windows machine or you installed a decent one but my point was that it wasn't initially an official project by the Mozilla Foundation. It was it was it was just a project on its own to cut down on the whole Netscape or Mozilla suite that they were pitching at the same time, which included all that email stuff and even a newsreader as I remember. Oh God, yeah. Firefox was just a cut down thin client to the web. If someone was telling me I can't use Firefox, I'd really struggle because like Chrome is an awful, awful browser. Everything about it is just horrible. You can feel them looking out of the pages at you. It's so <laughs> laden with fucking tracking shit. I mean, you just, you can, you can smell it. It's rotten. And even a thing like Chromium, where back in the day, IQ was telling us about having to compile it, where you have to build in loads of their binary components to get that to even build properly, things like that. It's just such a horrible infrastructure. And literally everybody has gone to uh, Blink. You're just building this horrific fucking um, monoculture. And, you know, I think we need something to fucking compete against this. And surely people will get the fucking message at some point. Well, it would appear not because it wasn't that long ago we were talking about um, the VPN service, I think, that Mozilla, we were, we suspected Mozilla were going to launch. They tried to monetize some other services and encourage people to pay money for them. That obviously hasn't worked because they're having to lay people off and they're losing money. So, you know, do 
are there enough people left to care? We need to really get behind it and do something about it. And I have no idea what what alternatives Mozilla have. Yeah, I don't think there's any alternative to the money that they get from Google search. And they're just going to have to find a new way to work. Well, that's what they say is the problem, that, that it's taken a lot longer to get these services to a point where they can start charging for them. I don't think it's that they've tried and failed. They haven't even properly tried. They, they've not had these services available you can have sort of a beta of the VPN service in the US only, um, but that's not even properly fully launched yet. And I think that they had anticipated it taking a lot less time to, to get all of those services off the ground. So maybe eventually they will get them going and they will be successful, successful enough to keep it going. Because you're right that we've got this monoculture at the moment, well, we, we've got the alternative in the form of Gecko and Firefox Quantum and all that, you know, the, the different rendering engine. We have some competition there, albeit not strong competition from a numbers point of view. But if that does go away, then it's just going to be completely up to Google what web standards come in, whether that's DRM stuff or whatever. But I'm sure that it'll all be fine. I'm sure that they'll slim down a little bit and, uh, you know, it's not like they're poor or anything. It's just they were living a little bit too far outside of their means. So I'm sure it'll be fine. Don't worry. And ultimately, Mozilla are a not-for-profit organization. So, you know, they can, as long as they're not making money, then they're doing okay. So on, in that measure, everything's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hemorrhaging money is totally fine, yeah. All right, so just a quick mention for the Pine phones have started shipping, including mine. I got my notification today. Ooh, very exciting. We'll see how long it takes and whether I have to pay a shitload of import duty and stuff. But uh, with any luck, I might have it by the next show, but I don't know how long it's going to take. But um, yeah, this is pretty cool that they kind of, they said they deliver in either December or early January. It's kind of mid-January now, so I think we'll give them a pass on that. It's uh, looking good, though. They said the tracking's not stunning on it, so it'll just show up eventually. All right, okay. I did get a text from Royal Mail. I don't know if that was some other thing that I've ordered. You have won a free boat. (laughs) Yeah, I could do with a boat. I'd uh, get it right on the Thames. It's not far away from me. Nab you for all your fucking parking fines. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the huge announcement of the last couple of weeks... Nextcloud Hub that is definitely not just a rebadged <laughs> Nextcloud 18 or anything. Your bitterness for Nextcloud is renowned, but you're just so wrong. I think this is a fucking awesome release. Absolutely fucking brilliant. Yeah, it looks good. I'm not not going to knock it, but I, I will just say this, right? We use Nextcloud at work. Now, on a Tuesday night, they record Linux Unplugged, and then I tune in for the last bit of it. And when we used to use Dropbox, I would clean up the folder from all the old flax and everything from the last couple of episodes or whatever. Um, Whereas now, I dare not fucking touch any files on that server in case it fucks the client in the studio. Because I've deleted files before, old files, and somehow that has crashed the client running in the studio. And then it looks like it's uploading them, but it's not. 
So my experience of Nextcloud has been quite negative, I'm afraid. So this would be one of the ropey machines that Chris built, would it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I think it is running Plasma. So yeah, that probably explains it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Like they, this is being pitched as this like enterprise ready solution that's going to replace Office 365 or whatever. But but they can't even get the basics of fucking file syncing to work properly and not crash the client. Like, how are they going to re- compete? Let's start with what they've done. They've got all the sync stuff that we know. They've got the talk integrated, so you've got proper fucking video web messaging stuff going on. And then they've got a full office suite in there now, so you can edit uh, documents together on the platform, a bit like uh, Google Docs. Well, pretty much directly like it. And then they've got integrated uh, K-Itinerary, which is obviously for a massive win <laughs> that is going to integrate with the email client and the calendar so you can get any of the info that comes in is going to get loaded in. All of these things are fucking complicated as fuck, but the file sync does fucking work. I've never had any trouble. And uh, let me put this way, fucking Dropbox, the first time I used it, wiped out the files I had in it. I deleted it on one wiped it off the other and all the files disappeared and that was the end of me ever using Dropbox ever again. We used to use it for Linux Voice for all of the document sharing between the five of us and they were big files, comparable to audio files, many hundreds of megabytes per file shuffling between us every single day. We didn't have any problems either. But otherwise, this does look like a solid release and um, only Office now instead of Collabra, which is interesting. Because that's got proper compatibility with uh, Microsoft Office, supposedly. Yeah, no, I, I haven't tried it. I, I'm dying to try it, but unfortunately I have to upgrade my server, which is running Debian on it. So because the PHP is still on V5 and I'm not messing around trying to load 7 onto it and stuff. Uh, so, I mean, I need to get off of 9 anyway. Um, but I'm really looking forward to trying this out because it looks really slick. I have to give it a go because I did find the Collabra office a bit flaky. And I knew that, you know, Collabra in particular were working with clients who had their own patches. And I always wondered how much of that got fed back. Not a colossal amount, then maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs, or droplets as they call them, with full root access in data centers all over the world with really fast networking and super fast SSDs. And they offer Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and FreeBSD, and some container distros. But if you don't want to use one of those, you can upload your own custom image. They have loads of one-click apps like LAMP and LEMP stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab, and it's really easy to set up. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to multiple cores and huge amounts of RAM and disk space. And they also have CPU-optimized droplets if you want just raw power and memory-optimized droplets if you need more of that. They have really simple backups that have saved my bacon once or twice and cloud firewalls that can stop network traffic before it even gets to your VM. It's really simple to add extra storage to your droplet, whether that is block storage or object storage, depending on your needs. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. Let's do a bit of KDE Corner then. K-User Feedback. That seems like a great name. Well, not to be left out of the spying on your users, KDE has decided that they should do that too, uh, I jest. But um, they did say that they want to get more feedback from other tools. So they built a library called K-User Feedback and... um, 
it's not been active in any KD applications as of yet. I think one of the few packages that's actually use it have been uh, Trolltech ones, which are uh, Gamma Ray and Qt Creator. Um, and they have worked on that, and there's some extra details that they've gone into about what they want to be very careful with privacy, and they're integrating it into Plasma 5.18, so it'll be coming pretty soon. And they actually have a a screenshot of the sort of maximum that it's going to pull in things like qt informa- uh, qt version information usage time locale all these sorts of things and even with most of those on i think i would be fairly happy them getting all of that info so i believe i will be switching it on the key factor here is that you do have to switch it on it is opt-in exactly but still people are fucking moaning about it probably no users who no intention to ever use kd and they're just jumping in on the action <laughs> anyway <laughs> reignite the desktop wars i say (laughs) and so there's a plasma 5.18 beta then yeah so the lts release uh which would be for the next two years is coming out as well um and they put a load of work in that i mean there's a the last item on the on the linked page is a diff between what you are getting if you happen to be jumping from the last lts to this but even People who are going from the current to to the next five eighteen, there's been loads of work being put into it, like GTK and client side decorations, massively improved support on that stuff. A very simple thing like Bluetooth battery uh, indication when it's about to run out. I mean, that's useful for people with headsets and stuff. Mm. Can it magically tell you when your backup recorder's SD card is going to be full, like it just happened to me? <laughs> I have no idea, but it does have a Joe special global animation slider. So you'll be able to ram that right the way down. Excellent. Does it also set your wallpaper as black? Uh, well, I, I think they should just have a Joe icon at this point, and then you could just <laughs> lure, lure you in with it. Well, let me just hijack KDE Corner with XFCE Corner, because there's going to be a dark theme available in 2004. Wow. Uh, Zubuntu 2004, that is. It really is the future, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, back to your KDE products. And uh, fractional scaling on X11 has gotten a big boost as well. And some of the uh, stats off NVIDIA cards will end up in cases card as well. So really strong stuff. And it's what the next set of the applications is going to be built on top of. So, yeah, good stuff to come. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much uh, appreciated. If you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, if you pay $5 or more on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And latenightlinux.com slash contact if you want to get in touch with us. So uh, there's a couple of work-related things that I need to plug. I forgot to mention that I was on Brunch with Brent uh, fairly recently, so I can link to that uh, in the show notes. But if you just go to extras.show there, um, uh, Brunch with Brent is like an interview thing, so I just talk quite a lot. It's about 45 minutes of me being interviewed. And Graham, you'll be on an upcoming show where you are in hog heaven, as they say, talking to Drew about <laughs> synths for like 20 minutes or something. Yeah, I think we recorded about six and a half hours, but he's... Uh... <laughs> Is it just one long, continuous <laughs> drone instrumental piece? <laughs> you actually do perform a little bit. Like you, so you say, right, I'm going to play this note and then I'm going to fiddle with this filter and it goes, oh, womp, 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 womp. Yeah. So yeah, all of that. Yeah. So do do check it out. If you just go to extras.show and subscribe, there's loads of great content there. I normally don't advertise work stuff, but as both of us have been on there, I uh, thought it'd be worth it. 
Yeah, and actually, I thought that um, lunch with Brent was really good. It was really interesting hearing your take on putting the podcast together. Yeah, it's not lunch with Brent, it's brunch with Brent. <laughs> I thought it was dinner with Drew. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on. Fuss Talk Live 2020, it is happening way on the 13th of June in London at the Harrison as usual. Uh, so I put that in your calendar. Now, I did mention before that we could potentially start a little bit earlier and have it be a little bit more than just the live podcasts. So this is like a soft call for papers, I suppose. Um, if you think that you would want to do a talk during the day, because the pub opens at 12 uh, noon, and we have to be out of there by 11, I think. So we'll probably do the shows as normal but we may do some talks or workshops. If you've got ideas for things that you actually want to do, and ideally you've done before, or you have prepared properly and are not just going to turn up and wing it and be shit, then get in touch, um, latenightlinux.com slash contact, and just put Foss Talk Live or whatever in the subject. So, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. It's still several months away. If there are enough people who want to do talks and stuff, and yeah, if you want to come and uh, listen to talks as well, let let us know. I mean, what do you lot think of this idea? I think I think it's a really good idea. Um, I, it always goes by far too quickly. Um, it's only once a year. Um, I don't think you'll have any problem fin- filling this those slots with good, entertaining things. I agree. Yeah, definitely. So let let us know if you uh, if you fancy it. This episode is sponsored by CDN77. Go to cdn77.com. And they are a UK-based CDN provider with an end-to-end video processing and delivery platform as their standalone product called Streamflow. They sponsor a bunch of great open-source projects like CentOS, KDE, Fedora, Gentoo, and Funtu. And one of their standout clients is the European Space Agency, who use CDN77 to deliver Hubble images all around the world. They're a real innovation leader. They were the first CDN to implement a lot of new features like HTTP2 and Broccoli compression. And they don't outsource anything. Everything's developed and managed by their own team, including their own DDoS protection. And they can push 80 gigabits per second of live streaming through just one machine through their optimizations. All their servers are running Debian, and the vast majority of them are physical machines with an overall network capacity of more than 14 terabits per second. And they've got 35 points of presence in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia, with daily peaks regularly exceeding 5 terabits per second. They've got great 24-7 live support and flexible pricing with both great value monthly plans and pay-to-go options. You can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card needed, and if you do stick with them after that, you can get a 40% bonus if you mention late-night Linux to sales or tech support. So, for example, if you topped up by $1,000, you get $400 on top of that. I hosted the MP3 for an episode of the JRS podcast on CDN77, and it was really easy to set up and link to it, and I had no complaints about the speed from anyone. So go to cdn77.com and start delivering your content. So, last week, Windows 7 officially died. It officially went out of support. And there were a lot of people in our community suggesting that people upgrade to Ubuntu or even I think was it the Plasma people made a video upgrade to Plasma and some other distros and everything and I kind of look around at them and think good luck we've had this before haven't we with Vista Windows 8 what makes them think it's going to be different this time and 
So I've got, I've got two questions for you all. The first one is, do you think we should be advocating that people upgrade to Linux from Windows 7? And the second most important one is, the people that you know who have been using Windows 7, are you actually telling them to use Linux? Well, yes, of course, we should be advocating for those people to use uh, to use Linux. My concern is that the people who will be using Windows 7 at the moment are more than likely, well, no, not more than likely, I suspect they are going to be enterprise users because all the Windows users who were on Windows 7 have been nagged on a daily basis for about the last five years to upgrade to Windows 10. And they've been offered a free upgrade to Windows 10. So I suspect that a lot of those people will have already upgraded. And so, as was the case in the XP days, uh, we'll be left with the the sorts of people who are still using Windows 7 because they have to, because their crazy legacy uh, desktop application will only run on Windows 7 and will never be upgraded to anything else. Um, and they're the people who are going to be stuck on it. And there's no amount of lobbying and uh, advertising and marketing that we can do that is going to convince those sorts of users to move to Linux, even though their application could probably be written as a web app and be you know platform independent. Um, it, it's just not going to happen. It didn't happen with Windows NT. It didn't happen with Windows XP. It's not going to happen with Windows 7. Are you saying that those applications should be made into Electron apps? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know anyone who is on Windows 7, or is it just people you suspect in Enterprise? Yeah, I I don't know anybody running Windows 7. I don't know very many people running Windows anyway. Um, And of those people, like people um, in my immediate family, they would have upgraded to Windows 10 a long time ago. Yeah, well, I had a friend who uh, lent his laptop. I think he had someone staying with him and let them borrow his laptop. And when he came back from work, they'd accidentally upgraded it to Windows 10. So (laughs) that's how strong the nags were. Phelium, I assume that anyone who uses Windows, uh, you just burn them at the stake or something. Well, yeah, including myself, ever since they stole 135 fucking euros from me, the thieving bastards. Like, I mean, that just goes to show, even if you do pay for fucking Windows 10 correctly in their own store, the fuckers don't even work properly. So, yeah, all that aside, um, I mean, if you look at where we were back when Vista came out, that was November 2006. Like, that was a long time ago. I mean, that's 13-odd years ago. And the Linux that we could have offered people then compared to the, you know, like, if you compare Windows xp to windows 7 i wouldn't think there's too much has changed between them i mean they often get this thing of the backwards compatibility of windows is fairly shocking how it keeps on going but i mean yeah it's the same package with a slightly different window decoration on top well yeah i mean some of my old audio stuff like music making software that i had back in the day still works on windows 10 now and this was you know it's worked on xp 7 and 10 no problem. And there's, I'm sure there's far more modern versions of it, but I'm not paying for that when I can easily make my synth noises and whatever with my old version that I had. Um, and so that is one thing that is great about Windows. I mean, you can't deny it that, I mean, maybe it just hasn't changed much, but 
you know me, I'm an XFCE user, I like that. I like the fact that software that I bought you know, 15 years ago can run on a modern Windows system now. Yeah, and the, the links we could offer them back in those days wasn't as good as the Linux we could offer them comparably to the same level of Windows. So their, Windows hasn't changed. I think we've changed massively and we've increased an awful lot. I mean, the bits in Windows that have changed are kind of for standard user, not really that important. I mean, yes, security, all these things are important, but you don't see a, a tangible benefit from it unless your machine gets owned. So, I mean, I think we're in a far better place. Now, whether we should is another question, and I'm not entirely sure we should. Not unless somebody comes looking for it. You can always say, you know, this is a great system, it's open, you know, you're not locked in, you're, you've got choice of hardware, you're not vendor locked in from the hardware or the software side speak about all the benefits of it but i would not go with a hard sell on it because if no one's interested or they're not looking to if you sell them something and they think they're getting one thing and then they end up with another you just do more damage to ourselves i would argue that not necessarily for enterprise users but if there's any home users out there i would probably say chrome os is probably a better bet than windows 10 for most people because most people just need a browser and most people are just using web apps and email and stuff. And so realistically, that is probably, if they're going to buy a new machine, then that's what I would probably advise them to do. Well, I think realistically, most people are going to be using tablets and phones these days. Yeah, I mean, that's something I suppose that wasn't uh, the case as much in the Vista and Windows 8 days. Mm. If you think 14 years ago, Phones and tablets, well, phones were kind of around, I think, but, um, well, certainly when Windows 8 came out, you had reasonably good phones. But now, for most people, I mean, I've talked about my uh, niece, who's 14. The, the way she looked at me when uh, I was talking about her phone screen breaking, she's got like an iPhone 10 or something where it's really complicated to fix it, and um, they would have had to keep it for a day or two. And I said, well, you can just use your laptop for all the stuff. And she looked at me just like with a disgusted face of like, oh my God, I can't even... <laughs> like the only time she ever uses that laptop is when school forces her to write a Word document <laughs> or whatever. But increasingly with um, iPads and stuff, you can do all of that anyway without a proper laptop. So maybe... You're right, Will. Maybe this is just all irrelevant. And it's really only enterprise anyway, where people are using proper computers. And those enterprise users, I think for XP, they continued to, even though it was discontinued and you couldn't, you could not buy an extended service contract or whatever, they still released a security update in 2019 for Windows XP. So, yeah, you know, those enterprise users are going to find a way to bribe Microsoft to keep this thing ticking over. Yeah, isn't the UK government one of those customers? Oh, is it? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Still bribing Microsoft to support XP. <laughs> what about you, Graham? Do you know anyone on Windows 7? I do know somebody who's using Windows 7, and they're on Windows 7 because they hate change. Yeah. Um, they they know what they know. And even even though I've spoken to them about switching to a Chromebook, even that's too much. They want a manual to things, and they read the manual to the things they use, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and I think that's the problem. We can't... By saying that Linux is an alternative, I think we should own the SEO if we can, but people expecting it to work in the same way it's just 
not never going to happen. Um, and we've made that mistake in the past when people want their apps to work exactly as they work and feel as familiar as they do on their old window systems. And also from hanging out in some gaming circles, I know there's quite a few gamers who have stuck with Windows 7. Um, because I think there are certain performance advantages that you don't, that probably, you know, Microsoft spying on Windows 10, you know, reduces. Oh, really? I thought that um, you didn't have the latest DirectX and stuff. Well, yeah, you don't. You don't. But I think, I still think that gives you some extra FPS on some games. Oh, right. It must be old games, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I mean, I don't, um, I don't know, but definitely people still using Windows 7 for games. Um, and even then, you know, suggesting Linux, it's if they're sticking on Windows 7 because of an extra few FPS on DirectX 9, um, it's not going to, you're not going to get any advantages on Linux. But when they, when they do inevitably come to look for an alternative, I don't see why we can't own the, or contribute to the discussion of why Linux should be a, a, an alternative that you should consider. And I don't think that's something we're very good at. Um, you know, there's no central marketing. In a, in a way, the message is fragmented across distributions. And it'd be good if we had a clearer message that, you know, security updates last so many years. You know, it's open. You're far more secure. I just wish that um, the Linux community was more knowledgeable about the actual number of users for the various distros. Now, I don't know for a fact, but I have it on good authority there are various sort of tiers or levels of user numbers. You get your sort of Arch and Fedora at the top of the alternatives, but then Ubuntu is an order of magnitude more. It's like more than all of the other distros put together. And yet we always kind of just talk about Ubuntu and Fedora and Arch as if they're somehow equal. And that central marketing thing, uh, you know, people just wouldn't have it. It's like some people say, oh, Ubuntu, that's dead. That's a dead project because none of my mates use it. We all use Arch or Manjaro or whatever. But the reality is that on the desktop, Ubuntu is massively more popular than any of the others. And so we should get behind it as the alternative. But we just won't do that as a community. No. And that's the nerd um, mindset, right? Is that you can't like what is popular because then it's not challenging and you're not able to wield your superior knowledge <laughs> over all of your peers. Uh, you know, it's got to be complicated. It's got to be hard. Otherwise, it's not cool. And that's where it all falls down, in my opinion. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that must have been very frustrating for you. I actually know a couple of people who are on Windows 7. Um, one of them is my dad, and he only needs basic office tasks. And I'm kind of thinking about maybe Chrome OS, but then I did blag quite a powerful laptop. Well, it's a first-gen i7, so it's not that powerful, but it's powerful enough for him. And uh, it had a Windows 7 license on it, which you can convert to a Windows 10, even though it's a Windows 7 OEM. Um, you just phone up the automated line and type in a load of fucking numbers and stuff and then it says, hey, yeah, you can use it, well done. So I've got that and I'm, I'm going to replace it for him soon um, because he ca basically can't use Linux because of his printer and scanner. Um, I advised him on what printer and scanner to get um, and then he just didn't take my advice. He just went and bought one because it looked good. Oh, this one prints a A3. a So instead of getting a laser printer that would last ages... Um, he's having to buy ink all the time for this fucking inkjet piece of shit. It's Brother, I think. And it's obviously not Linux's fault that Brother aren't supporting it, but the fact is that it doesn't work very well on Linux. It somewhat works, but he is business critical. It has to print every time. Control P, enter, done. It has to work. 
and and so it has to be Windows, which is really fucking frustrating. I wish I could set him up with Linux, but that is just not happening. Just to head off some complaints, brother are actually very supportive of uh, Linux, so it's probably not a brother, I would guess. Or is tech support agents crap? Yeah, maybe. Well, it has been a while. I mean, I will try it um, with Linux and see how it goes. But my experience of printing on Linux has been really hit and miss as well. Oh, fucking printing in general is hit and miss. It's the most fucking awful fucking device that's ever been created on the face of the earth. Fuck them all. They're all fucking shit. True, except for on my shitty old Mac where it works every time. So just saying. But I, I just don't think that I could put him on Linux in good conscience. My mum, I put her on Linux, and she has never looked back. And because all she uses is a fucking web browser and a media player sometimes, so she's totally fine with it. Um, but the the stuff that uh, my dad's doing, he needs printing. I mean, he's otherwise just basically a web browser and Thunderbird, so he could easily be on Linux. But it's just that printing and, and scanning as well that has to work a hundred percent because he's got all documents to scan in for work and stuff. Um, and the the other person I know um, does like uh, AutoCAD stuff, uh, design work, uh, like architectural stuff, and he's not going to learn anything new at this stage. I'm sure there is a, a decent open source one, but he uses AutoCAD. That is not available for Linux, therefore he can't use Linux. Simple as that. How we fix that problem is, you know, we've discussed many times with snaps and stuff. Yeah, I think CAD area is, I mean, that's a small market, even on Windows. So I think that's just not one that you could deal with. I mean, unless the application itself just decides that they'll support it, which I don't see why it wouldn't. Because some of the high-end workstations, I don't see why they have to run Windows, because all they do is CAD all day. And uh, most of those things have an internal VM, I think. Anyway, you run a Lisp, I think, AutoCAD had, which is just fucking horrific. Well, I know, Graham, you do quite a lot of CAD stuff for the uh, 3D printing, don't you? So it is available, but it's just not AutoCAD. Yeah, and I've never used it in a kind of professional capacity. Um, yeah, from, from a hobbyist 3D printing perspective, you know, OpenSCAD is really brilliant. FreeCAD's great as well. Um, but yes, I think probably a whole different set of rigorous um, tools are needed if you're building real stuff you're sending to a manufacturer. Well, maybe the way we should go forward. I mean, if you're talking about your niece just like turning her nose up in disgust at the thought of just using a standard PC, maybe we should be concentrating on making our own version of a Chrome OS that could go on a device and be a very simple system like that. If we just consider that most people using a computer now are, are going to be dead in 20 years, I, I include myself in this. And, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe all hope is lost for these people and businesses you're never going to change anyway. So maybe we should try and aim to that future. I mean, maybe that's where things like the Pine Book and the Pine Phone are going to come in well. And the fact that if we can get a decent version of an OS that does essentially the basics of what Chrome OS does, yet it doesn't have the unbelievable levels of uh, spying on the user they are clearly going to be doing so what you're saying is we need another distro <laughs> i am saying we need another distro i think that's the way to solve this problem <laughs> it always is isn't it well time gets the better of us as usual so we'd better get out of here uh no promises on that pine phone if it turns up maybe we'll talk about that but if not who knows what we'll be talking about next time but until then i've been joe i've been phelan i've been graham PC load letter. <laughs> <laughs> See you later.